Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. All right. Today, we've got Taylor Lott on the podcast. We will talk about how he got started in the real estate industry, specifically with syndications. He talks about the outbound and the inbound strategy that he uses and which one is better. What is the value of having a coach and a mentor and how he was able to learn from people that he met in the industry. So let's welcome Taylor. All right. We got Taylor on with us today. Taylor Lote is with Passive Wealth Strategy Podcast. He's a multifamily real estate syndicator and we're going to talk about how to build some trust with investors today and overcome some capital issues or whatnot. So Taylor, do you, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Happy to do that. So like you said, I buy multifamily with passive investors and split the return is the way I like to put it just to you know, let people know really what the function of a syndicator is, is helping people get into real estate without being active in their deals. And that's kind of the way I like to put it. Awesome. Do you want to maybe tell us like, how did you get into doing that? Like, where did it all start? It's going to be an answer. My answer is really very similar to many other real estate investors out there in that, you know, working professional, busy professional, wanting to earn more, build wealth and really prepare for my financial future. You know, big thing for me is my parents are in their late fifties now. They're totally fine. They're in a good position financially, but you know, someday they're not going to be, hopefully, I guess, you know, hopefully they make it that long. I'm happy to have them around. I want to be able to take care of them when that time comes and and have the funds to do it. And it doesn't take a a rocket scientist to go out there and look at the, the cost of elder care these days and to expect that cost is going to continue to rise exponentially. So Years ago, I was looking and I saw my career trajectory as what it was and just I knew it was what was going to happen. I can do the math and see I'm not going to earn enough to achieve my goals. So, sure. Oh, hey, it's Chris Shepard. Taylor, I really love that you've got such a dialed in why, like why you're doing what you're doing. And I mean, for me, that is one of the biggest reasons to understand why you're doing it and why to chase financial freedom. So I love that. It's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, I think I totally agree. It's very important for anybody who wants to get into real mm-hmm. estate and, you know, really have the push to go through, you know, tough times mm-hmm. to know why you're doing it. So, you know, years ago I, I found myself in that situation and I kind of came from the background where, okay, you want to make more money? Go to school. You know, so my trajectory at the time was okay, I'm going to go back to school. My background's in chemical engineering. I'm going to go back to school, get my MBA, and figure it out from there. Because, right, you go to school, MBAs, you know, at least in the 80s, was a good way to go back to school and make more money. While I, you know, I took the GMAT and everything while I'm getting ready to write applications, I just so happened to pick up a book that, you know, many real estate investors have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that completely, I already had some misgivings in my head because again, going back to the math, 
MBA school might be $120,000, maybe 150, not even counting the opportunity cost of not working for two years. And it's tough to make up that investment when you realize that the only way to make it up is through working more hours, right? Or working more time trading hours for dollars. And Kiyosaki really just kind of turned that on my head. I had already or turned that idea on its head and, and changed my mind. I had already been you know, listening to real estate podcasts here and there. I think that's probably where I heard about Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And just completely, I was like, all right, well, I'm not, not going to business school. I got to figure something else out and kind of took it from there. Awesome. So growing up, what a, like, how did your kind of your household and your parents' values kind of shape how you got to where you are? That is such an interesting question because I, I think about that pretty frequently. So like I said, I think about it a lot. So but I'll, just to flesh it out a little bit more, both of my parents are from the same small town in Pennsylvania. It's a, a steel town and the steel mill is still there, but it's it's a tiny shadow of what it once was. And both of my grandfathers worked at that steel mill. They had different roles. My my dad's father on that side also was a farmer. He, he owned a farm. And that man, that man worked, I kid you not, until just before he died. He was out there on the farm. He had retired in his, I think his 60s, but he was out there on the farm cutting wood and building the fire to heat their house until Again, I'm not joking. He died. He was 92. He died. He was 92, building the fire until a month before he died. He got gas heat installed in their house. And then he died <laughs> a month later. <laughs> so he didn't just retire and, you know, sit on his butt. He was still working the farm. You know, his capacity diminished. But it really comes from there, right? It was work hard, you know, get a good job, find something to do. Fortunately, and my grandparents and everything, you know, they instilled in my parents the concept or the value of a good education. And for me, like I know a lot of guys and women who, you know, in their late teens dropped out of college or never went to college and they're successful business people now. Not going to college was not an option for me. It was, this is what you're doing and that's going to be what it is. And you know, in becoming a real estate investor, I do have some family members who are real estate investors, but you know, it, it just wasn't something that I grew up with at all. It was, it was really more, you, you go work to put food on your table, which is great. Real estate investing is work. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't, there wasn't a concept of building yeah. systems and strategies to creating money. massive wealth. Yeah. So do you think it was just Rich Dad, Poor Dad that just kind of plucked you out of that path? I mean, because I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad too, and like that really, you know, spurred me on. But our dad was a real estate investor. He was a landlord his whole life. And we like grew up watching him, you know, sun tanning, reading his magazine. And he's like 42 playing, years old. Playing bridge all day. <laughs> and it's just like, but he, I mean, he also worked very hard when he worked, it was just, he had gotten himself to a position to where, you know, he was, he owned real estate notes and was able to live off of those notes. And yeah. So do you think it was rich dad, poor dad? 
You know, I think it was, like I said, I had been listening to podcasts at the same time too. And, you know, other things, uh, something else I kind of skipped over, you know, after I graduated from college, got a job and not making anywhere near as much money as I wanted to, but I was getting paid living in an apartment. One day uh, I was driving to work and I passed by the office of the apartment complex and I saw sitting out front, I like cars, sitting out front, I saw, if memory serves, it was like an Audi S7, which is a nice car. It's not a Lambo, but they're very nice cars. And I thought, I bet anything that is the guy or woman who owns this complex. And that has really just stuck in my mind because I was driving an old Volkswagen Jetta at the time. You know, it was a decent car, but it wasn't in any sense fancy. And I don't know, that has just stuck in my head as well. Really, it was, in a sense, I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad kind of confirmed some misgivings I had in my mind of, you know, I'm going to, I'm looking at investing all this money. I mean, 300 plus thousand dollars when you factor in cost plus the cost of it itself plus opportunity cost. And I'm going to get some other career where you you go be a banker. And I knew I didn't want to be a banker, right? I don't want to work a hundred hours on, on wall street to, you know, live in some fancy apartment in Manhattan. That's fine, but that's not what I want to do. I didn't want to go. I've lived a life where I traveled around the country all the time on a weekly basis. That's consulting. I knew I didn't want to do that. And that just Rich Dad Poor Dad really, I think, cemented in my mind the concept that it's possible to build systems that generate passive income and wealth. And I think that, you know, going back to the legacy of one of my grandfathers being a farmer, there's still that value. There's still that knowledge of the value of real estate ownership. Farming is not a passive income activity, at least the way that, that he did it. But there's, a, you know, there's intrinsic knowledge that was, I guess, passed down to me that there's wealth in owning property. I just needed those extra pieces to show that you, know, you don't need to, if you want to invest in real estate, you don't need to go buy single family on the corner up the street and manage it yourself. You know, we've had, I've had family friends and, you know, friends, parents growing up who, who owned rental properties. And there are other ways to, like you said, your dad built up his note portfolio. I mean, that's, that's one way. I don't know. I just see that as a pivot point in my life, I suppose, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's awesome. I'm one of many. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Who have read that no, book. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that have that kind of same epiphany or, or that's one of the books that's like widely recommended. And so that's kind of like where the, the starting point is. And you're now in syndication and have done some deals. I think we kind of wanted to talk about like, you're talking with investors, you're looking for deals. Like when you're talking to those investors, like how are you going about developing those relationships and, you know, getting them to to trust or they are trusting you and putting their capital with you? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think the best way to really put the current model that many syndicators like me are, are, that we're pursuing is inbound versus outbound. And this was, again, reframed for me. Just last night, I was on a a call with a gentleman who raises a lot of capital. You got to spend a lot of time with these guys who are a couple of rungs above you to continue learning their strategies, but it's exactly what we're doing here. It starts with a thought leadership platform. So I host a podcast, as you mentioned earlier, 
I started a meetup in, in Richmond, Virginia a few years ago, pre-COVID, obviously, to just get out there and get in front of people. And that's where it starts. You know, you get out there, you say, here's, I, here's what I am, here's who I am, here's what I do. And now we're going to, in the case of a podcast interview, we're going to interview an interesting person who you might be interested in hearing about. And in going along with that, your audience out there is getting to know you, the both of you, you know, Chris and AJ, they're getting to know <laughs> me on my show. And sometimes some of those people will connect with you. And if you're out there saying, you know, I buy, I syndicate real estate, I buy real estate with passive investors. Some of those folks will come to you and say, Hey, I want to learn more. And that's kind of where it starts. It's a different model from going to, you know, networking group and, trying to pass out business cards and, hey, hey, here's what I do. You want to you know, invest with me, blah, 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 or build that relationship from there. That's outbound. Really what we're doing here and you know, the podcast model now, the thought leadership model is an inbound strategy. You're putting yourself out there. You're not soliciting an investment. You're just saying, this is what I do. If you want to learn more, great. Hit me up. If not, then you know, that's great too. Yeah. And- I think I've heard of this, this kind of like, it's like the hunter gatherer or the like order taker as kind of like with sales. Like, so the, and then there's like the rainmaker too. I think there's like three levels, but so what you're saying is there's like, there's the outbound where like you're going and finding stuff and then this podcast, people get to know you and then they actually come to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thought leadership platform, whether it's a podcast, I know folks that, you know, do a lot of webinars or they've taken their meetups online. It's really, it's a matter of putting yourself out there and providing a way for, for people to come find you. It scales a lot better than <laughs> going out and hunting people down. And plus, you know, everybody out there, they're initiating the interaction, right? I, I'm putting it and you guys are putting this content out there and it's more like nobody likes being sold, right? Yeah, and no. I don't. Nobody does. Yeah. It's very different when you feel a connection with someone and then reach out to them and and try to, and want to learn more about getting involved in their business. So once someone like reaches out to you and says like, Hey, I'm interested in learning more. Are you, can you take us through like what maybe some other steps are or how you continue to foster that relationship? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so really what, what we do is connect on, on a phone call or or a zoom call phone calls are, much more my favorite. But my goal when I get on a call with someone who might be interested in investing is really just to learn about them and their goals because I'm not in the business of, you know, wasting my time. And I'm not in the business of wasting their time, right? And if, if the types of things we do are not the right fit for them, then that's totally fine, you know, by either one of our judgments. But it's really learning about them, their history, whether or not, you know, in the case of syndications, you want to learn whether or not they're sophisticated enough, whether or not they're accredited and how they're accredited and you know all these things that, that go along with compliance. But on a person-to-person level, you want to know if it's going to be you know, a good fit when you present an investment to them. You know, okay, maybe they're interested at the time. Do they, you know, if they invest $100,000, are they prepared for a five-year, a seven-year illiquid investment? Some people are, some people are not. That's great, you know? but you really want to learn whether or not the fit is good from both directions. Awesome. I really love the idea of the inbound versus outbound 
communication. Like if you have investors or or maybe even with the deal sourcing process of being a syndicator or a real estate agent, like if you have people, homeowners or apartment owners reaching out to you because you've created this content or information out there, how you've got a solution for the problem that they have and now they're reaching out to you. It's just a completely different conversation than it is to like, hello, is this such and such property owner? Do you, have you thought about selling selling your property? (laughs) (laughs) Click. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I I love that idea. It's a big way of how, it's kind of how a lot of digital marketing works today. It's not a, you know, a completely brand new idea, you know, to the internet, you know, basically it's just applying different principles, you know, and, and yeah, content and people who are interested, that's great. And people who just want the content, that's great too. That's why it's there. You know? So if somebody was like new to this, to the idea of, you know, switching their marketing from outbound to inbound, how would you say, well, how did you get started? You know, when, when you made your transition, when did you kind of switch from cold calling and or reaching out to individuals versus just kind of planting seeds and then letting the business grow? So, I mean, to be honest with you, this is just kind of the way I've done it. I obviously I do go to conferences. I do talk with people, you know, and, and folks that are interested, you know, we take it from there. But, you know, this is kind of the way I set it up. And it's because you know, I can't even claim originality for the idea. I hired a mentor and he showed me the way he does it. And that's the way I'm doing it. You know, I, obviously we put our own spin on things that we do no matter what. Hopefully, I think if we're being genuine, we put our own spin on things. But it's it's really, you know, applying a proven model. Mentor Joe Fairless out there, you know, many of you guys are probably familiar with his show. Yes, and, we um, are. Yep. You know, it's just... I hate to say copycat, right? Because I do pay him, <laughs> right? But, you know, it's using his strategy, really. You know, building a podcast. I, I've hosted another podcast previously that I got tired of and I decided to pivot and, you know, it's okay. But yeah, building the meetup was was his idea. Build, having a podcast was his idea, you know? And that's why I'm here. Building a brand. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so a lot of our listeners have this hurdle of, okay, I'm ready to start investing in real estate, but I don't have any capital. So how have you overcome, you know, not having capital and through like finding investors or creating partnerships with your investors? That's an interesting idea. You know, I would say that syndication, generally speaking, from the either the syndicator or the passive investor side is not a no money down type of game. It's not free. That doesn't mean it's pay to play necessarily, but setting up a syndication, like getting an asset under contract, all the legal fees and everything, you know, you get into multiple, multiple tens of thousands of dollars of sunk costs until a typical deal is closed. So it's not a no money down, you know, I have no money in the bank type of game. There are folks out there who get into syndications or get into the syndication game by bringing deals to syndicators. I don't know how much that's happening more recently with the way, especially the multifamily market is is now. It's 
there's Brandon Turner's fund, Open Door Capital, does pay people to bring him deals. So you you know if you can pay for a list and market to mobile home park owners and get one under contract and bring it to him, then you know that'll be I think it's a hundred grand. So that's pretty good. But setting up a syndication itself is is not free to do. So you know the way I got capital was saving a lot of money. <laughs> investing in in other things before I got into real estate. But, you know, I, I live I still today, I live way below my means because, you know, I'm 31. I have a nice car. I have a decent place to live. Like, that's fine. I can delay gratification because the, you know, the dollar figure is going to be much, much bigger in 10 or 20 years. And I'm perfectly okay with that. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that differentiates the syndication space from a lot of other areas of real estate where you can make up for lack of capital on pure hustle. That's not to say you need to have you need to be, you know, a multimillionaire to get into syndication, but if you know, if you don't have a few tens of grand in your pocket, then it's going to be I think very difficult to get started. So yeah. Uh, as you're getting started in syndication, you're partnering with some other people in the GP, isn't that right? Yes, yes, definitely. Nice. And so how's, how's that going? Is that, I mean, because that's sort of, you know, like you maybe don't have the, the brand capital or the, you know, the financial statement to qualify. Like, I mean, in some considerations, that's, that's capital. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, building a brand, it's a big investment of time and energy, you know, you guys know that with your your brand building. I mean, we originally connected on bigger pockets, AJ, I think. You know, that's not accidental on your part or on my part that we're on bigger pockets a lot. <laughs> you know, and it's not accidental that we're here on a podcast. It's not accidental that, you know, I have other podcasts that I'm, you know, recording for myself and everything. And building that brand, you know, comes with time and it can accelerate by listening to others who have who have done it before you and copying their ideas or taking the ones that are right and or the ones that you know resonate with you and applying them to your business but yeah that brand capital comes with time those partnerships they come with time too and and effort and building relationships and you know talking with people i mean i'm i'm on a few other real estate investing forums and a big thing for me personally right now is looking to build more of those tight connections that I can, you know, general partner with and, and put deals together with. The ones we have going now are great and I want to keep continue expanding in that space. So once I'm done with my bigger pockets efforts for the day each evening, I go get on other forums and reach out to people who I know are doing big things and get to talk with them, you know, see if it's a good fit, see if, you know, maybe we'd be interested in partnering and if you can really connect with people on a deeper level, I think that helps considerably, whether it's partnering with others on, in a general partnership or looking for, you know, passive investments. I mean, I, I talked with a gentleman earlier today who's got three kids who are all roughly my age range and they're, you know, they're in late twenties, early to mid thirties. And, you know, despite our age difference, we have a few things in common. I can relate to him through, you know, my father and my relationship with, with my dad and, you know, they, they have a lot in common. They don't know each other at all, but 
you know, they're, they're guys in their late fifties, early sixties, there's, there's commonalities and, you know, shoot, maybe that'll turn into something. Right. But yeah, that's going to come with time and that's kind of how it's done. It's, it's just putting in the effort and building connections. Yeah. And I think like with those connections is like, you never know who you're going to talk to or who someone else knows too. Right. Yeah. Like there's, there's plenty of times when like I've introduced myself to someone and then it's like a, one of their friends or one of their family members is like the one that really is like interested in our business or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I like really, I think what you said was like taking the time and like really educating people and providing value is, is something that they will really appreciate. And even though they may not be able to do it right away, but return the favor sooner or later down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the syndication space is tiny, especially, I mean, I don't, I don't really care what niche you're in, right? This is, there's not a lot of people in what we do. We don't, that's not to say that everybody knows everybody, but probably whoever you're talking to knows a few people who you know, and they may know your reputation, maybe not, but you know, I think it's a, it's important to keep those things in mind and you know, I think the most successful people in this space are very good at forging those connections and finding out people's you know deeper motivations and deeper desires and doing their best to add value to that if they can. I like that. So Taylor, you mentioned that you found Joe Fairless and he basically hired him on as as a mentor. You know, how has that gone for you? And you know, can you just describe a little bit about? you know, how having a mentor made things different and I guess made, made things easier than, than not having a mentor. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I don't really know if I, if I knew what I was getting into when I first, <laughs> you know, said, this is what I'm going to do. Actually, I'm certain I did. I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> are, are you talking that with respects to the amount of work it is or? Well, sure. I think, yes, that is certainly relevant, especially early on for me in this, in this game, I, I didn't know, you know, how long of a road it is. And I didn't know, you don't know what happens on the back end until you get into the back end. You know, all the stuff that happens, you only know the facade by looking at, looking at other syndicators or, you know, real estate investors, things like that. And for me, you know, I brought Joe on as a coach and I spun my wheels for a while and it's nothing to say nothing about Joe at all. It has nothing to do with Joe. It was that I didn't understand the level of commitment that was required. The late nights, the, you know, there's, this is going to sound ridiculous, but my favorite thing to do, just personally, my favorite leisure activity is Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And we had a little drought there during the COVID pandemic, but, you know, where I live, we're back on now. Nice. But I've been doing it for six years. If I could, you know, I'm, I'm not too beaten up yet with chronic injuries that my, one of my thumbs doesn't quite work right. But if I could, that would be what I would do all the time, all the time, but I can't. And one of the things, and again, I know it sounds ridiculous, but one of the things I had to do was realize I got to cut back on that stuff, even though it's, you know, it's good for you. It's exercise, but I would be there all the time. I got to cut, you got to cut back on the things that you want to do in the short term and invest that time in yourself and your business and, and what have you and really commit. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And, you know, you guys might be familiar with Trevor McGregor, who is Joe's, you know, business performance results coach. And I hired Trevor too, because that's one of the things I was struggling with and I didn't really understand it. But, 
you know, when you, from bringing Trevor on and then just getting to know other syndicators well and learning about, you know, what they do, it has helped me, it helped me commit more. It helped me, you know, work harder, even though we're not necessarily saying work harder is, is the right answer, but that's what's helped here is, you know, just seeing the incredible amount of hustle and drive. And I'll tell you one guy, and I haven't talked to him in a little while, but one guy who's, whose trajectory has inspired me more than anybody else's, and I consider him a friend, is Whitney Sewell. I live in Richmond. Whitney lives in Roanoke, and he's in Joe's you know, coaching group too. I joined before Whitney. After Whitney signed up, he went into our common group, and he said, hey, I'm in Roanoke, blah, blah, blah. Anybody want to meet up? And I said, great. And he was coming to Richmond at, at the time for the work that he did. And he, he and I sat down. I had a coffee. I don't, he doesn't drink coffee, but I had a coffee and, and we talked and I got to know him a bit. He's a super nice guy. But in watching him and having you know informal mentors like him, not just him, but I'm singling him out for a reason because he is awesome. <laughs> that can really help you know, push you along and motivate you and, and like help show you the way in these spaces, even though, you know, I don't know how often he thinks about me. I, like I said, I haven't talked to him in a little while, but he's out there inspiring me. And, and I know many others just through, you know, he's got, he's got his mission with related to as regards adoptions and everything. And that's, that's yep. awesome. He's just a great guy. I mean, every, I think everybody, everybody that I know that has talked to him has, has enjoyed it. And he and I have, we attended a few conferences together. We like, you know, ultimate partnering and things like that. And, one of Michael Blanc's conferences a little while ago and just, you know, watching him has been more inspirational sounds, sounds a little pie in the sky and not boots on the ground, but inspirational, motivating, instructive by watching what he does. Just you watching know, every, somebody do well. Oh like, yeah. It's, it's encouraging. You know, it's, it's like, wow, he's doing great. I'm super happy for him. I know that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's the thing about you can do two main things with watching somebody succeed. You can say exactly that. You can say, oh, I'm, I'm so excited for him. What can I learn? How can I, you know, follow in his footsteps or, or watch what he's done and apply some of those lessons to my business and my life? Or you could say, that guy doesn't deserve that. Why is he blah, blah, blah? You know, and it, it helps because Whitney's a great guy, but it doesn't take him out of the equation and just anybody and watching their success, you know, whether or not you're envious, jealous, whatever, what can you learn from? And is there anything you can take and apply to your own life and business? So Taylor, having gone through, well, and still being a, like part of a mentorship and receiving coaching, like what do you think the biggest value is about having a coach and having a mentor and, you know, I hear a lot of, you know, group, like people who get a coach and then they join a group and they're like, I, I get so much out of the kind of the mastermind or, or the network part of that group. And there's some benefit of the coach or the mentor. What is it for you? And then, you know, what is it like, what is it about coaching and mentorship that's made a, a big impact for you? I mean, there's a few things, right? When, when times get tough, you know, I can 
look and say, look, I've invested a lot of money in this business and you know, it's, it's bearing fruit, but I've invested a lot of money and a lot of time. This is maybe having a hard day or hard week right now with, I don't know, shoot. I think this week I'm probably recording like 14 podcasts. Like, okay, that's not great, but it's going to be over. And what am I going to let, you know, my, I was really exhausted on Wednesday. Like, what am I going to let that stop me or, you know, whatever, um, a deal falls through, you know, we don't, we don't close on something. What am I going to let this stop me? And then, you know, having a, a resource there, somebody, I mean, Joe's got over a billion dollars in assets under management right now. I mean, he's run into many of the situations that I run into, you know, I'm running into now. Right. And I can ask him and get his input and everything. And you're right. The network, the network is very helpful getting to meet other people who are in the program who have, you know, been in a similar position as me. And, you know, maybe they've, you know, because we don't all present the same circumstances, maybe they've received guidance from him that I haven't received because I haven't been in that position. I haven't needed it. But if I pick their brain, maybe I can learn something from them that they learned from him. And it just takes me that much further. But it's, you get out of it what you put into it. I think, you know, I can't speak for every coaching program out there, but you know, for the listeners, for you guys, I mean, if you've been in a meetup, if you've been in any of these conferences or, you know, seminars and you go to them a couple of times, you're going to see people come and go. And some of those people come and go because they decide the business isn't right for them or whatever, but they're just people who, who aren't going to do the work and yeah, it's okay. But, you know, just have to, have to refuse to be to be one of those folks, I suppose, and, and <laughs> put the work in. I definitely have heard the, you, you definitely get what you put in, you get out what you put into it. And if you're going to, if you're going to work it, then you, it's, it's going to be successful. Especially like I do a lot of volunteer work with NARPM and you know, that is cool. all about like, if I put more work into it, we, we get more out of it. Like there's no doubt about that. So well, Chris, are we, I think we're probably ready for the, oh, no? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're ready. <laughs> we're ready. We're, we, we got four questions for you at the end here, just to wrap things up. So the first one's, what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? I spent some time thinking about this, right? Because, like I said, I'm 31. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't ago. that long ago. <laughs> I suppose I, this is personal. It's not related to business. I had a girlfriend at the time that... We just weren't the right fit for each other. She's a good person. There's nothing wrong with her. Nothing wrong. We just weren't the right fit. And I think I knew at the point we shouldn't be together. And just, I would probably say, you know, you should listen to that, to that instinct. That would be the number one, I think. Again, nothing personal, nothing personal on her at all whatsoever. We're just not a right fit. And I think that time is so, so important. That would be the best thing for the both of us at the time very personal though <laughs> so no worries, kind of fine. like listen listen to your heart and believe it and act on it yeah feel feel the gut yeah i think so yeah okay. good way to put it cool so what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor i'm not one of those guys who was buying packs of gum when he was you know six and then selling off the individual, maybe not six, eight, selling off the individual sticks. I'm not one of those guys. You know, rich dad, poor dad was, again, the first thing that really kind of turned my, my eyes to, you know, taking the reins of this thing and, and building it myself. So I would say my first entrepreneurial endeavor has been 
becoming a, a real estate investor and a real estate syndicator. Cool. That's a large leap too <laughs> into the entrepreneurial world. Well, I, you know, if I can expand on that, I mean, I had a guy on my show recently who you guys may be familiar with. I don't know. His name's Dylan Marma. He got into syndication when he was 20. And, you know, I was talking to, when I talked to him, he was 26, right? And he's already, he worked with Jake and Gino for a while. Now he's got his own fund he's building. And I just think the limiting beliefs thing, the concept of limiting beliefs is so important. I mean, you know, if, if, if you look at it and see, oh, wow, that's a tall mountain to climb. It's going to be a lot harder to climb. But if you look at like the next step in front of you and take that step, you know, it's a lot easier to just keep doing that than to stare at the peak the whole time. Yeah. And, and try to go from there. Yeah. I mean, those outlandish goals, the big, hairy, audacious goal or BHAGs are, you know, just breaking them down until where you've got just like one tiny step. Like what's my minimum next step for tomorrow or today? Like what do I need to get done by today in order to like make one step closer to that? hundred percent. My Chris is always like touting like, well, what's our minimum next step? What's our minimum next step? (laughs) I'm like a, you know, just repeating myself all the time asking the team, what's the minimum next step? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving on, how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Well, yeah. So we talked a lot about today and in our discussion is ways in which it's you know, shaped, shaped my journey. I'd say I've probably, I hate to, because we've mentioned so many names, I hate to, to sound like I'm ragging on anybody, but I think I've gotten more out of like informal training than, than anything else. I mean, you know, just a year ago, I was at a mastermind at the Renault winery with a bunch of names that, you know, you guys would recognize and try not to name drop anymore. But one of the other attendees you know, after the event, he's, you know, one of the other attendees is a successful syndicator. We get to talking and he asked me about some of the issues I'm, you know, I was having at the time, you know, with my business and podcast and everything. And, you know, there's always issues. That's just the way it is. And I expressed some of those to him and he gave me, gave me some ideas that, I mean, just, they were an inflection point to me. And this is a guy who's got a very successful background in, in corporate marketing with major, major brands. And then pivoted, you know, built his own real estate portfolio, got into syndication. And, you know, just because he's a nice guy and I guess he liked me enough, right? He gave me some ideas that just, you know, hit me at that point where, you know, it had been in my mind that weekend. I mentioned to him, hey, I'm having trouble with this thing. And I mean, I could have, you know, would have talked to Joe about this as well later on, but you know, he gave me this idea and I ran with it. And it's all these other things. It's, it's watching Whitney and, and his level of success and learning from him and talking to him. And every time I sit down with him, like we go to dinner or something when he comes to Richmond, I mean, I, I'm just picking his brain the whole time. Try to be respectful, right? But like try to learn, learn from him and his whole, his whole journey and everything. And, you know, you just, you, you pick up a lot of things by getting to know others and, you know, learning from their experiences and, People, because it's back to Dale Carnegie, right? You, we haven't mentioned Dale Carnegie, but people love talking about themselves. So do I, right? Everybody does. <laughs> and, you know, they love talking about their businesses. Oh, what's this thing that you did that, you know, took you whatever, or this last deal you closed? How did you get that? Where'd you find that? You know, the gentleman that I talked with earlier today, I mean, we talked for a little while and most of our conversations was about his kids and his family. And that was great because, you know, we have something in common in that way. 
And I think that'll lead to a deeper connection down the road. And he also told me about how he closed in this really cool deal and how he got it and everything. So I learned something there. But you know that you can't discount the informal training. I think it's so very important. Oh, you know, you can't like just reading and just the the desire to continue to learn is is huge. Yep. Okay. Our final question. What was your Moby Dick of real estate? The one that got away? <sighs> yeah. I have thought about this one for a while as well. I have not actually read Moby Dick, but I am familiar with, uh, with the terminology. With the white whale? With the white whale. So yeah, I had to think about this. It was a great recession and the recovery from the great recession because I graduated from, from college in 2011 and you started working and I was investing. I mean, I was frugal at the time. I invested everything I had and everything I could spare in the market in you know stocks and equity, but I hadn't learned about real estate yet for another couple of years. And I've gone on to meet so many people who built just amazing portfolios at this, that same time. And they were really hustling, but you know, within the span of a couple of years, you know, they were, they were doing so many deals the COVID recession's impact on real estate, I think, still remains to be seen as we're talking. But I don't think we're going to, I hope, <laughs> frankly, in our lifetime, we're not going to get that big of a crash of real estate again and that, that great of a buying opportunity. And I think that's the one that got away, but there was so much like heartache that came along with it. I'm okay with that. I mean, I've accepted that. I would say that's the one, though. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar stock portfolio that got crushed during that time <laughs> period too. And, uh, I mean, and I, I also bought a couple houses right before the crash. Oh and, man. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was definitely opportunity that got away early on, but you know, you never know when, where the bottom at the time, nobody knew where the bottom was. That's one of our sayings is like, it doesn't matter when, when you buy, as long as you keep buying, as long as you keep buying, you'll hit the top, you'll hit the bottom. And you'll, you'll average out. And if it keeps going up, you're going to be great. And also buy for income, making sure that it cash flows and all that sort of stuff. And as a syndicator, you're, you're always doing that. You're just trying to maximize the income as much as possible. <laughs> all about that cash flow. That's I think what it comes down to. Never sell. <laughs> <laughs> well, Taylor, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Really appreciate yeah, you, you coming you. out. And yeah, same really, here. Thank, same here. thank you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.